was eating an egg before we recorded. Eggs are delicious. What kind of an egg? It's a hard-boiled egg. They're incredible and edible. Eggs are great. Incredible. In- Incredible. Incredible. That just that just sounds like a promotion for someone called Craig. That no one will listen to Incredible and think, oh, eggs. <laughs> I'm on that egg tip now. Eggs are ridiculous. Eggs are versatile. I'll give them that. Like, you can put them in a cake, you'd never know there was an egg in there. Yeah, eggs hide in food. Yeah. That's one of the best things they do. (laughs) Unless it's an egg sandwich, then you know there's an egg in there. (laughs) But if it's a cake, you don't know. Yeah, but there's probably also an egg in the bread bit, though. There's still an egg hiding in it, probably. Probably. Just not the egg you're thinking. One of my favourite things to do with eggs is to get, uh, is to hard boil a bunch peel them and drop them into a, a solution of red beets, vinegar, and sugar. Oh, that sounds great. Ooh. Oh, it's it's so good because you'll leave them in there to soak for like three, four days and that beet flavor just completely permeates all of the white and actually like gives it a flavor and then you get that that sort of rich yolk in the middle. Oh, it's well, the see, best. The, 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 be- the beauty of egg is that, like, for someone like me that struggles with textures, there's so many different textures you can make an egg into. Like, oh, yeah. maybe I can't I can't do, like, a runny dippy egg or a fried egg, but I can do scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs, are, they're fab. You make a custard. Yeah. You see, I, I'm not too fond of scrambled eggs, but it doesn't matter, because I could just have an omelette. There's an egg for everyone. There really is. There is an egg for everyone, except for people <laughs> who don't like eggs. <laughs> and like vegans couldn't eat an egg. Yeah, but like then you can have that. There's a thing called vegan egg, and it comes in like what looks like a box of eggs, except it's just powder you mix up with water, and then you've got egg. Genius, genius. Yeah, how they make powder into an egg? I don't know. Science. An egg for all seasons. But I was eating this this hard <laughs> boiled egg, and I thought this is so stupid. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it, but this is the stupid. Who who was the first person who looked at an egg and thought? <laughs> Right, there's a lot of runny stuff in there. I want it to be hard and shaped like the egg. <laughs> and then someone was like, right, we're going to put it in really hot water until what is inside the egg is shaped like an egg and you'll eat that. And someone did and were like, this is delicious. I'll do this again. I feel like there had to be some experimentation, though. Like, you know, to stumble upon that being a good way to eat an egg. Like, surely someone like tried to eat an egg like an apple once. And oh, like, no ah, doubt. Too much shell in my mouth. Maybe that's why there are so many ways to do an egg. Because, like, <laughs> you look at bread and they're like, yeah. we've nailed this sucker. We we know what bread is. And you can do a fair bit with bread, but it's not as wild. It's always it's always bread. Yeah, it's not as wildly branching as, as the, the humble egg. So maybe it was someone ate egg like an apple and thought, this is, this is bullshit. <laughs> I've got to do something about this. <laughs> and then a whole bunch of people were just like trying to find a way that an egg was good. Do, does it get good if I spin it like I'm trying to make whipped cream? No. Does it get good if I put it on a... If if I... We, you had one of them who had like a big flat hot thing. And they said, right, I'm going to smash this egg up and put it on the flat hot thing. And they fried themselves up an egg and they ate it and it was like, this is disgusting. I'm going to put this in a pot now. And then someone else walked along and said, I like the egg on the flat hot thing. This is lovely. 
oh, but it's so runny. And then someone else said, right, I'm going to poke this egg with a stick. I'm going to poke the yellow bit with a stick while it's on the flat hot thing. And then I'm assuming cavemen are all doing this. <laughs> I'm going to poke the egg with a stick. And then, oh, the runny bit is now not runny when it's properly cooked on the flat hot thing. While someone else is like, fuck your flat hot thing. I've got hot water and I'm making an egg shaped egg. Hey, I think I've just stumbled upon a great universal truth, which is maybe the world would get along better if we just treated each other the way we treat eggs. They're all different. There's a million different ways to be, and they're all good for someone. Don't don't hate on an egg just because it's not how you like an egg. And then beat each other with whisks. <laughs> yes, beat each other with whisks. Yeah. That's how you get the feelings out. I've been meaning to try, and I'm big on sous vide cooking, you know, like a water bath. Yeah. And you can you can cook eggs in there. You can make soft-boiled eggs in a sous vide flawlessly, apparently, because all you have to do is you just set the temperature at the water, and it never exceeds that temperature. So the yolk will remain soft because it's never cooked so hot. And you just, the timing doesn't matter that much because it's just maintaining temperature. I'm dying yeah. to try it. I should... I should really get around to that. I haven't had eggs in a while. I like them. It's been all eggs all the time over here lately. I'm, I've am i never been a huge egg person, but like, just occasionally, someone will offer me scrambled egg, I'll go, yeah, why not? Well, the, the, once every couple of years. I mean, it's just, it's it's a superfood. It's high in protein. It's It's got all sorts of nutrients in it. They're delicious. Oh man, I want an egg now. What have you done to me, Jim? Uh, I've, I've brought up eggs. That's the problem. Damn it. Can we forget about the video games and just go make some eggs to eat on the show? Yeah, this is the podcast about whether your eggs are great or perfect. God (laughs) damn you, Conrad. That was my next thing I was going to (laughs) say. That was my next thing. Hey, scrambled eggs, perfect. They're only great for me. But I'll do our boiled egg every day, perfect. Oh, that's that's only great for me. Uh, See, I'm a sunny side up guy primarily because I like to... Put that yolk over something else. Smush it all over and make something wet with egg. Yeah. I love it when things are wet with egg. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what oh. you can also do. You can, you can put all the egg. You can put all the egg in a pan. And then you can get some bread. And you can put that in the pan with it. And you oh, you make an eggy bread. bread. Make eggy bread. Eggy bread. Oh. I haven't had eggy bread in ages. I want eggy bread. Alternately, you just take that egg, you leave it in a bowl, you drop your bread into it and just put that in the frying pan. There's your French toast. Ah, uh, I, f- I forgot how... that. I thought I'd thought of all the variations while we'd been here, but no, there is tech we hadn't... We haven't dealt with. We haven't begun to. We haven't begun to scratch the surface of an egg. It's a food on its own, but it's also a binding agent for other food items. Yeah. Uh, the, the the opportunities with eggs are limitless, and I really can't wait for the video game industry to figure this out. Yeah. Because they're just way behind the curve on the egg. We need proper egg tech in video games. Little Billy, you wished for a world without egg. Well, how are you eat mayonnaise now, you little <laughs> fuck? Hi everyone. Hello, welcome to this. <laughs> welcome to this. What do you want to hear? What do you want to hear about? Video games in a minute? We'll do that. We'll talk about video games for a minute. I, I mean, I'm just. I, oh, I want an egg. How about this, Jim? If, if, if you're well behaved, if you're well behaved and you talk about video games and whether they're great or perfect, you can have an egg after. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> All right, I'll be, I'll be good for egg. You can't have any egg if you don't talk your video games. You gotta have, you gotta have your dinner of video games before your dessert of uh, egg. 
<laughs> oh, that would, I, as much as I like eggs, if it was eggs for pudding, I'd draw the line. Yeah, but custard, though. Oh, but custard, though. Custard, though. You see? Oh, egg is the silent friend that we all have. So, who's played a video game this week, friends? I've, I've, I've played a video game. Tell me about one of them so you can eat your egg. Yeah, and get this one out of the way quick, because I only played it for like an hour. Yeah. And it really upset me. Every second of it was distressing. Yeah. I played Shenmue 3 for an hour before I... Before I went crying back to Yakuza 3. It just does not fucking care for your time, does it? It doesn't care about anything. Hey, <laughs> hey, run into town to ask every single person if they've seen the person you're looking for. Now run back across town. Oh, can't go that way in this open world yet. We've not allowed you to go up that path. Oh. I'm looking for a man called Yuan. Have you or haven't you? I told you about yeah, this. This is so... I, I wasn't exaggerating, was I? It's ludicrous. It's the, it is exactly that. I'm looking for a man called Yuan. No, I haven't. It's it's not even the like you 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 spotted that an hour in. That keeps happening for twenty five hours. Of course it does, because this story that everyone's invested in is shit and badly written. Sorry <sighs> to break it to you. Yeah. On this podcast where you find out if Shenmue is great or perfect. The thing is, you 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 were so little into it, you didn't even come across most of the things I hated most about it yet. Sure. You didn't have to investigate a room where you had to open thirty drawers very slowly to look for one clue. Uh, you didn't have to meet the uh the the weird offensive caricature characters this speaks to what i've been saying for the past few weeks about oh well you can't criticize this game you didn't finish it i'm like i got an hour into that and i'm like i could tell i was only gonna hate it more yes and i I just stopped like playing a game to completion does not mean you'll suddenly like it it will just make you more resentful if you already hate it i played to the end of it because i was paid to and paid quite well to and the only thing I got out of playing it to the end was, ha! This, this, this is no conclusion. Yeah, that's that's all I. I could have stopped three hours in, and other than telling you there is zero conclusion to this plot, I would have been able to tell you exactly as much about that game. You got to admire Yu Suzuki's hubristic confidence, where he thinks it took me eighteen years multiple corporations and seven million dollars in crowdfunding to get number three made number four's gonna be a doddle let's not have an ending well no more than that numbers four through nine are gonna be a doddle that's it yeah numbers four through nine i can't wait to play shenmue nine like he just thought to himself like i don't need to wrap this up this doesn't need an ending we will keep this going he should write a book. Yeah. Just write a book. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up because it's reminded me that my like my distaste at this game hasn't settled at all in the weeks since I played it. No. I always like to, if, if I dislike a game that much, I like to give it a couple of weeks and go, you know, have I settled down right in a joke? No, no. <laughs> I genuinely wonder if it's a joke. I said this on the Jimquisition this past week. Is Shenmue a joke? Playing Shenmue 3, first of all, for $60, which stuns me. It stuns me. This does not feel like a $60 game. Yeah, like, like some, some people come at me with the whole Deadly Premonition thing. Like, oh, you don't like Shenmue. Deadly Premonition was 20 bucks when it first came out. Well, not only that, like, 
it didn't take itself too seriously. It lent into the fact that it was a cheap, weird piece of shit. Yeah, like everything bad about it worked in like perfect balance, whereas Shenmue is just shit. It never wasted its uh, your time with its its nonsense. It got on with what the what it was doing, and you either liked it or you didn't. The worst parts of that game, too, I think, from like a gameplay perspective, are the parts that it's very clear that the development was not interested in making. Yeah. Right. Like, that combat stuff is just shoehorned in there, and it's obvious that it's one of those things where the publisher demanded action gameplay. Yeah, as opposed to as opposed to Shenmue, where it feels like the most boring parts, like opening 30 drawers looking for one scrap of paper, they're the point of the game. Right. Like, they're the game trying to go, hey... Isn't it impressive that we had this many drawers in a room? Yeah. Because he hasn't learned. Because Yu Suzuki hasn't learned. Eastnet have not made a full-scale video game ever. And Yu Suzuki hasn't made, a, a, on his own as a director, hasn't directed a full-scale game since Shenmue fucking 2. And in that time, he's done a couple fucking mobile games, some of which are so obscure I couldn't even find pictures of them for my video. And then straight back on Shenmue. I'm I I would be surprised at this point if he'd ever played a Yakuza game. I'd love to be like, what games have you played? What have you learned in 18 years of video game advancements? Because playing Shenmue 3 literally just picks up, not just story-wise, mechanics-wise, picks up where Shenmue left off. I, I said the same when I when I finished playing through it myself, but I would believe you if you told me this was a game developed in 2002 that sat in a vault for a couple of decades and someone went, oh shit, if we stick a widescreen filter and up the resolution, here you go. I would believe this was a a game from a time capsule that got remastered. I thought it... It comes off like a gag, like a parody. It's not just the, the visuals and the stilted gameplay... The voice acting is so bad and not funny bad. It's like voice acting from the 2000s, from when someone would get their sister to come in and read some lines. The the microphone quality is decent, but like the people reading the lines feel like they not only have zero context for like where the what what the sentence means in context, but also like they've never had to say that sentence with the correct inflection before. Yeah. Like they don't say sentences the way that a human being would say those words. There's no acting. There's there's reading of words. There's no acting in the game. It's embarrassing. Uh... And this is what voice acting used to be like in, like, PS2 games without a budget. When it really was, you know, the developers' friends and family would come in and read some lines because they didn't want to pay for anyone. Because, like, the, the things that this game wants you to find impressive have been done better elsewhere at this point because like yeah i can look at things in this game and go if this happened in 2005 i'd have been really impressed like the uh what one thing that is impressive about the voice acting i suppose is the scope in that when you get a a new mission you can ask pretty much every npc in the game hey what about this mission i'm on right now and they'll have some sort of ish relevant dialogue and i'm like I can see how you thought that would be a really impressive thing. And 15 years ago, it might have been. But, like, yeah. that's that's not a surprise anymore. It's like a 10-year-old, like a kid, who tells a joke and gets a laugh and then tells the joke again and again and again. 
It's like it, and they and because they're a kid, they don't know it was only funny once. They expect the same amount of of impressed reaction, and it's like no, the world's moved on from that joke, and now Shenmue Three just comes off like a joke. And and again, like I can't necessarily fault it for under delivering because apparently this is exactly what the fans wanted. And that seems to be the consensus among actual fans is this is exactly what they wanted and more power to them. But holy hell, it delivered nostalgia. It went, hey, do you want to feel like you're playing that thing that you really liked from decades ago? And maybe some of that happiness you felt back in 2001 will seep back into you and you go, oh, this this makes me happy because it reminds me of when I didn't have to have a job and I could just play games all the time and... I had to like the game because it was the one I had. I can't wait to find out which of the many corporations that provided support, like how much they all spent. Yeah. I am so curious because it's not sold well and it was never going to sell well. But I think one or two corporations may have got drunk off the pro- uh, off the hype and saw that many requests, saw how requested it was. And thought that would mean big sales. And, and it didn't occur to them that the requests that were coming in constituted the sum total of people who were actually interested? Yes. And it brings me back to that line I always say about... I, I use it in different contexts, but it's very applicable to many subjects. Where I say what, what that Koei rep said to me, everyone loved Kitaru Man, no one bought Kitaru Man. It's like, you can talk to people about Shenmue. And they're like, I love that game, I love that game, I love that game. And you don't realise that, yeah, that's about like 100,000 people. Like, like this, I, I didn't use this in the Jimquisition because I wasn't confident on the math, but I could talk to y'all and, and maybe you can s- say if I messed something up. But Shenmue 1 sold like, was it 1.2 million? Mm. Shenmue 2 sold about a tenth of that and ended up with a total um, of about 100,000 for Shenmue 2. Yeah. The amount of backers that backed Shenmue's Kickstarter, Shenmue 3, was about, it was, it was a little over 80,000. And then in Japan, in its opening week, it sold 17,000 and some change. Yeah. About (laughs) 100,000. As if the fan base never changed, which in a way is impressive. I mean, you've got to admire the dedication, right? Yeah. The game only got more and more obscure, but it doesn't look like the fan base shrunk. But it does feel like in the world, there are, and have always been, at least for 20 years... There are a hundred thousand. There must always be a Stark in Winterfell, and there must always be a hundred thousand Shenmue fans. I mean, I I wouldn't quibble that estimation. Like it certainly makes the case that almost everyone I, who wanted to buy the game had already funded it on Kickstarter, and that's why the sales are dog shit. Yeah, but. In a usual crowdfunded project, that's fine because the people who funded it are the people who are going to get it. That's a straightforward equivalent exchange. And that would be fine for Shenmue 3 if Deep Silver hadn't started publishing it. Sega wasn't supporting it. Um, Sony. Sony wasn't supporting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's got two different Chinese publishers and Shibuya Entertainment yeah. was also supporting it. And you know what? Fuck them. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> fuck them. Uh, really, like, if they looked at that and they got high on their own supply and said, oh, shit, you know, there's money to be made here because there's money being thrown at this thing. Good. Good. I'm glad you screwed that up. No, you make a fair point. Yeah. It's, they, they, yeah, they've done it to themselves. I mean, 
I wouldn't trust you, Suzuki, with my money. Not because I think he's a grifter. I don't. No. Like someone, someone said that to me in in response to my talking about Shenmue on the Jimquisition. They're like, "Are we entirely sure that he's not just scamming people for money?" And I'm like, "I'm absolutely sure he isn't." No. I think he legitimately loves this world and this project, and it's important to him. Yeah. You, Suzuki, has been excellent over the years at spending other people's money, but he has only ever done it in service to his masterpiece. This is his his opus, and he will do anything with someone else's money to make it. Right. Yeah. But he's not. He's not. He's not on the con. He is not grifting. He believes in what he's doing. He believes it deserves this amount of money. I wouldn't trust him with $10 of my own cash. He's doing whatever he can to make sure that his vanity project gets to keep seeing the light of day. And the the main issue with him, and this is an issue with quite a few directors and, and game developers who are not also inclined towards business sense, is the more money he gets, the more he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, the more money Sony and Sega and, and Deep Silver and Shibuya were giving him, he just wanted to spend more of it on making the game bigger. Well, another one who's like that, uh, Tim Schafer at Double Fine. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. I love Tim Schafer. I think he's incredibly talented and entertaining. The games that come out of, of Double Fine are, uh, if they're not great, they're at least unique. There's something yeah. really original to all of them. However, if you give that man more than $3 million, yeah. he will fuck it up. He can't rein in his own scope. Yeah. And like, it's been a real shame to watch because over the last like five to ten years, I've increasingly found myself with, with stuff that Tim Schafer's is attached to going, hmm, did this make more than it was expected to maybe taper my expectations? Yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of parallels you can draw with, with Schaefer yeah. and Yu Suzuki. Um, and Hideo Kojima is, is in a similar vein, but a different stratum. Like, typically, he's not produced flops and disasters. But I am very curious about Death Stranding. Yeah. Um, as near as I can tell, it didn't set the world on fire sales-wise. Well, is it one of those situations then that like Hideo Kojima's success has largely been predicated on the brand recognition of Metal Gear? Maybe. Like, is that it? There's that question. I mean... It helps to have a franchise that's successful. Yeah. I've not seen anyone shouting from the rafters of, look, Death Stranding sold amazing. It's a worldwide success. And usually when they're not shouting about how it sold, that means that it didn't do what they hoped. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. suggest it was a flop or anything, but no. the amount of money that went into that game must be asked. Yeah. I mean, it must make Shenmue look... Small. I'm I'm so fascinated though because like both uh, Death Stranding and Shenmue Three are things that Sony basically paid money to have appear at their press conferences and go, hey, you know, you were worried you might not see more from this person. Well, we paid money to make it happen. Yeah. And like uh... of the two, I think Death Stranding probably did better for Sony. I think it. I, I don't doubt that they probably made their money. Well, at the very least, it was advertised. Yeah. It, it, if nothing else, it got them some goodwill, and I think that they, you know, probably benefited from it. But when it comes to Shenmue 3, I look at, like, the various people who's... The various companies that poured money into that, and I'm like, my gut says the one 
if anyone made their money back off this, it's probably Sony. Just because they were the first ones to get in there and go, yeah, we'll put some money behind it. I imagine they were probably first in the line to take their cut when it happened. We'll see, I guess. I guess history will let us know. Yeah. What the final budget was. Because, you know, it was crowdfunded to the tune of, of seven million. Seven? Yeah. But that's only the crowdfunding money. And we know he was getting money from the others because, you know, when Deep Silver was brought on board as a publisher, he, Yu Suzuki, immediately talked about how he can make the game even fucking bigger. Now I keep thinking about Kojima and, like, that idea that it was just Metal Gear and that... You remember Zone of the Enders? Oh! The game that was only successful on the basis that it had a pack-in demo for MGS2? I... I... You're right, but... I love Zone of the Enders. I like Zone of the Enders too, but I don't think it would have sold for shit if it didn't have the Metal Gear demo. Yeah, but again, here's the thing. I don't think Death Stranding has in any way, like, prevented people at large being excited about whatever Kojima makes next, because he started talking this week about how he wants to get into doing horror stuff, and it's a shame uh, Silent Hills never got made, but he he wants to do horror again. I'm like, it sounds like you want to make quiet mountains, like Mm. you're not Silent Hills. And you know what? Great. I don't see anyone not excited about that, and I'm like, yeah, that's fair. I'll always give him a chance. Like, I, you know by now I hated Death Stranding, but I will always give Kojima a chance. Yeah, he's Death Stranding was not so terrible that it has made people go, oh, he was a hack all along and we need to, uh, you know, he's not, he's not burnt that reputation yet. Oh, and I think it would take a long time to burn that reputation because there is a legacy there of many very, very good games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look how, look how much goodwill Peter Molyneux was able to skate off, even while oh, making God. bad games. Kojima's got a long time before he tanks his credibility, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, other stuff we played this week. I played some Darksiders Genesis. Oh, yeah. I'm that? so curious about this. So, let's just remind everyone before we get into this, THQ Nordic are shit. Like, not worth supporting, they are not a good company, do not support them, etc. But the game dropped in my lap and I had to look at it and... So you know how the trailers for Darksiders Genesis make it look like it's going to be like a Diablo type sort of zoomed out isometric view kind of thing? That's certainly what I thought it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. It, mechanically it is still Darksiders 1. Oh, okay. It plays 100% identically to the first Darksiders to the point that all of war the horsemen's like attacks are mapped to the same buttons it it is a third person action game that just happens to be viewed from zoomed out above i'm all right i'm actually there for that which like yeah i i'm not opposed to that it was just like it wasn't what i was expecting and to be fair that that has some benefits like the the key benefit is when that game decides to throw just like swarms of mobs of enemies at you you can see them all at once that's beneficial, unless the game has decided to put a rock in front of you so you can't actually see what you're fighting and you can't move the camera, so that's not always great. The plot is generic as hell. Like, it's exactly what you would expect out of a Darksiders game. Lucifer is going around trying to get the archdemons to work for him. Oh, Lucifer! What you playing at? He's consolidating power and trying to do all sorts of Lucifer stuff. Oh, that bloody Lucifer. He's so naughty. The horsemen have got to go on a wild goose chase around hell, beating up some archdemons and finding out, oh, what's that naughty Lucy up to? Oh, what a cheeky bugger that Lucifer is. So, if you've played Darksiders 3, 
which was like kind of a semi-open world. I despise Darksiders 3. This is not that. It is a level-based, like, drop in, fight your way through a somewhat linear level, fight a boss at the end of it, go back to a hub, do the next level, uh, in terms of its structure. Yeah. Uh, I will say I quite liked the other playable character they had, which they finally made the fourth horseman Strife playable. He basically plays like a twin stick shooter, uh, one analog stick to move around and one to sort of aim where you're shooting. He's got a cool little mechanic where you've got two different gun buttons that you can sort of map with what types of ammo you want to use. And if you can hit enough consecutive shots, you get a brief period of your weapon goes into like a cool, better, different form of that weapon for a little bit the core gameplay of just like beating up demons for 15 hours that's fine it was fun enough the boss fights their main issue was they tried to be difficult by throwing in a bunch of regular enemies as well as the boss it's one of those games where it's like you're trying to have fun fighting a specific boss and then it's like yeah but what if i spawned in six Water spheres that will lightning zap you. So fucking lazy. And a bunch of like uh, a bunch of these little like dog things, and you've got to get on top of them that I'll keep spawning in before you can fight me. I hate it. Like there are, there are some minion bosses that are okay, and they should be like one, possibly two at a stretch per video game. Yeah. But like this was my problem with Remnant was every boss was a minion boss and it was so it felt so fucking uninspired to me i would say about two-thirds of the boss in this just spawn in a bunch of minions and each of them like has their own their own gimmick outside of that that would have been cool if they'd you know not cheaped out with minions as their way to do difficulty yeah it just, it reeks of a developer thinking this boss isn't hard enough. Fuck it. Yeah, but like the result is that the difficulty just spikes up and down really weirdly. Um, also, this game, as of when I reviewed it earlier this week, was a buggy piece of shit mess. I glitched inside walls more than once. I reached a boss fight arena uh, after respawning and it, it it acted as if I'd already en- entered the arena and had put up like a barrier so I couldn't get in. Uh. I was hearing voice lines about the the boss mocking me for not defeating him yet, but I couldn't get into the boss fight arena. And there's no option to reload your last checkpoint. Ah. So if you get stuck in a wall, uh, if you get stuck in a wall, your only option is to quit the level entirely and start from the beginning. And these levels are like 45 minutes to an hour long. And I have zero patience for, I pressed a lever and now I'm stuck in the wall. Replay 40 minutes of game to get back here. There is a line of dialogue right at the end of this game. And I think that this is spoiler free enough that I can talk about it. It is just one of the horsemen saying, do you ever get... Do you ever get bored of just mowing down hordes and hordes of demons? And I kept thinking about that after I finished the game because it had been like such a bookend to my experience. And I was like, when it's good, this game is mechanically quite fun. Like, if you get me in a room of not bullet spongy enemies that are not things that I've been fighting for six levels in a row just reskinned, and let me just beat them up with melee attacks as war... Or do my cool lightning gun that arcs from one enemy to another as strife and sort of run around doing a cool top-down combat action thing. It's quite fun, but I didn't need 15 hours of it. Yeah. Visually, it 
It reminds me of Helldivers. Yeah. Which I love. I liked Helldivers, yeah. yeah. It's got a similar look, but it doesn't share that feel. Oh, I want to play Helldivers now. Yeah. Also, the puzzling and the platforming are both still shit, as they've kind of always been in the Darksiders series. Why Why do they have platforming in this series at all? It's never made any sense to me. It's completely pointless. Like, in this game, the platforming res- is entirely... Do you see this sort of just floating grey pole? Jump onto it, rotate round to another side, uh... and then leap to the next pole. Uh, and the puzzles... The most complicated puzzle I encountered was... Find the two portal swirly walls where you can shoot a portal. There's only two of them, so you don't have to, like, work out where to put your portals. It's the two places portals can go. And then either reach through the portal or jump through the portal or shoot through the portal from the side that you can reach the portal. Ah, I did it. That's a puzzle. The puzzles are... The puzzles and the platforming are diversions to the one part of this game that feels fun. And even then, that part of the game... Yeah, it gets repetitive after a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I loved Ducks. Like I can't overstate how yeah. much I loved the first two Darksiders games. But yeah, between Darksiders three being utterly shit and THQ Nordic shenanigans. Yeah, I, 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 I will not be bothering with Genesis. Yeah, no, that's fair. I. I wouldn't have touched it had I not been given it to sure. review, and it's one of those like, it, you know, what was 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 perhaps the biggest shame. I could have put up with it being kind of a generic uh, bash and slash fest if it had felt as, uh, I guess, like cin- cinematic, for for want of a better word, as the first couple of Darksiders games, because like all of those in-engine cutscenes have been replaced with. Still images with narration over them. Oh. Right, that old standby, yeah. And because you've been zoomed back out, they no longer feel the need to do, like, cool uh, animations for your attacks. Everything just sort of dies when it's hit. Um, you've been pulled away from the action, and it becomes more about managing crowd control than it does about, you know, being up close and personal as this really tanky badass character getting to see them do all their cool shit. Like, I mean, that that can be fun. That has its merit. I like crowd control games. Oh, it has its merit, but like the the balance of the crowd control is off as well. Because I'll uh, how, how how do I describe this? Um, when you play that game in single player, it's ludicrously easy to not see a game over because even though you'll get overwhelmed by crowds of enemies. When one of your characters dies, the other one swaps in automatically and the other one starts a very quick recharge to be available again. So as long as you don't play rashly when you only have one character, the difficulty's really not a problem. And in co-op, when you're both playing together, it's a cakewalk because you've got two people to deal with the mob and it doesn't scale yeah. the horde of enemies. So no matter how you play it, it's it's... It's not really a challenge to manage the horde of enemies. It's like I played as Strife and the majority of the game, my crowd control strategy was pick the nearest enemy to me and shoot them and walk backwards away from them. Mm -hmm. And if I get cornered in a corner, tap the, the sort of dash button twice to get out of that corner and on the other side of them, then continue shooting at the nearest one to me while I back away. Yeah, I could see how that would wear out its welcome. Yeah, yeah. 
And like the the enemies just they keep recycling stuff you've already fought. Like in one level you might have here's these little goblins that we're in the lava level, so they're red. And when you when you kill them, they blow up and leave a little patch of damaging lava on the floor. But then when you go to like the poison level or the acid level, uh, now they're green goblins, and when you blow them up, they leave a green pool of acid that damages right. you. And, that reminds me of Contra Rocor from earlier in this year. Mm. Like, the amount of enemies that were just reskins. Like, yeah. you see that in a me- in many games, but in Contra Rocor it was like, holy shit, I just fought this boss. Yeah. Well, like, that's the thing is, I wouldn't even mind that so much if I didn't then have to see those enemies recycled as minions in a boss fight. Yeah. Like... If the boss fights were were more one on one, just fight this cool this cool thing, I'd have been more into that. Like the final fight of the game is a cool one on one boss fight. Uh, there is a cool one on one boss fight on the back of horses at one point. That's really cool. Doing a cool horseback fight. There are some really cool moments wedged into a game that just um, I couldn't recommend buying this at full price when it released. Uh, if you ended up with it in a humble bundle or something. There's some fun to be had, maybe try it, but it's a hard sell, this one. It's it's far from the best Darksiders. Yeah. Well that's a shame. Yeah. What about what about everyone else? What have you been any playing anything else? Uh I mean not this week it's just been a little bit more Amalur, uh Kingdoms of Amalur. You're not a real gamer. I know. You're not a real gamer. How do you answer those charges? Uh and, and don't and don't be relieved. Oh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn, there's you called challenge. it. <laughs> yeah, there's the challenge. Uh yeah, I'll I'll live somehow with that shame. Yeah, someone said that in the in on the on the, the Jim Sterling subreddit, which isn't official. So there's there's my legal oh, distance. Oh, that I'm not a real gamer? Not in a way meant as an attack, I don't even think. Uh-huh. It, it was just an open wondering, just oh he doesn't seem to play many games. I I guess he's not much of a gamer. Uh, no, it's it's that I'm broke, for one thing. So you know, he's a victim of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a function of capitalism more than than anything else. I, I mean, I I love it. Although I am, I don't know, I'm kind of particular also about my games in some ways because I have played so many of them. Yeah, you're not you a Shenmue yeah. fan. You've got standards. No, I, I I've been playing video games for 35 years. You're not in a position where you feel the need to try a thing that you're probably not gonna like just to confirm you're not gonna like it. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, like for one, like there are entire genres that I just look at and I'm like, no, that's not for me. I know it's not for me, and that's totally fine. You know, if it's strategy oriented. It's not for me. If it's more than 40 hours in length, probably not for me because I don't have that kind of time. Uh, if it's a fighting game, I'm bad at it. I'm just bad. And it's not its not enjoyable for me to get the crap beat out of me, nor for anybody who's playing against me because I don't represent anything close to a challenge. So, like, there's a lot of stuff that I simply don't engage with. Um, and, and on top of that, like, you've seen... I don't want to be like, oh, you've seen one, you've seen a thousand. But I have seen a thousand. Yeah, but like, there's nothing wrong with knowing what games you like and just playing those. Case in point, I've crossed 150 hours in Pokemon now. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So I am maybe not as broadly interested as I used to be in terms of the things that I'm like going to use my spare time to play. Uh, And and it's it's interesting, too, because a lot of times I'll use Amalur as an example. I have no idea what's going on in that game. Yeah. None. I don't know what the plot is. I don't read any of the lore there because it, that 
aspect of it doesn't interest me. That's not what you're there for. Yeah. I like the loop. I like to run out there and, and do some, you know, combos and kill some enemies and get some loot and then decide I don't want that loot and then go back out and get more. <laughs> and, and that's that's yeah. all it is for me. So, uh, and other games, Bang, sure, I'll... bang, rhubarb, rhubarb. Court is in session. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on trial. Conrad Zimmerman, you stand accused of being bad videos game man. How do you plead? Uh, the Wumpus got me. Wumpus? Wumpus? <laughs> you stand before the court and you talk of Wumpus. I have no... I've got my uh, glasses cleaning cloth that can go on my head like a black cup. You give me no choice but to sentence you... Bang, bang, rhubarb, rhubarb. Sentence you to be hanged by the ass until you are dead, and may God have mercy. Wait, wait, wait! I called myself as a surprise witness. Rupert, <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe, I believe that Conrad is a real video games man because he's playing Kingdoms of Amalur. It's not like he's playing. Animal Crossing or Cooking Mama, those not video games that are not video games. God, I love those games too. Oh no! Oh, oh no! no. What is happening? The surprise witness has backfired! Immediately to bad videos game man jail for you! I'm never talking my court again, rhubarb rhubarb. It's so silly to me because like, what, what is it that you have to play to constitute being a games man? Well, according to Riot Games' original job descriptions, uh, Call of Duty... Yeah, okay. Um, no. Yeah, but, like, I feel like Kingdoms of Amalur is one of those things that, like, most people would go, oh, yeah, that's a video game's video game. Yeah, I would think so, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what the fuck do I know? Yes, yes, you're right. I will probably never play a Call of Duty game ever again. That's fair. That's, that's, you know, it's not that they're bad. That's the other thing. I don't think that these things are bad. They're not bad. They're not for me. And I'm not going to waste my time or your time talking about stuff that's of zero interest to me. I mean, if I were you, I'd have made that closing statement before Judge Peppercorn sentenced you. Mm. <laughs> mm. It's, it's yep. no use delivering this now from behind the bars of yeah. bad videos game man, Joe. <laughs> There was, however, one video game adjacent thing that you brought up to us in our uh, in our chat oh, yeah. uh, between weeks that like totally is worth bringing up. I think. Yeah, well, this is really interesting because there's a, a po another podcast. Uh, I, I, as hard as it may be to believe, there are other podcasts that talk about video games. <gasps> what? Yeah, and one of them is uh, How Did This Get Played from the mm. Earwolf Network. It's a show that primarily focuses on weird and or bad games. And uh, last week, and, and, and I had heard this before, uh, we, we, and we just didn't get to it last, last week yeah, when we yeah. were on the show, but um, they did a, and I'm just going to do air quotes here, Thanksgiving special. Mm-hmm, yeah. Covering Custer's Revenge. Oh, I see. Oh. Yeah, so for anyone unaware with that, it's an old game where uh, Native Americans get raped at the end of levels. Well, it's, yeah, the, the premise of Custer's Revenge is that you play a naked guy, or a guy who is naked but for a cowboy hat, with a an erection, running across a empty plane as arrows rain down on you, trying to reach a Native American woman who is tied to a pole so you can rape her. It is, I mean, there's really no excusing this game. It's not even something that, like, 
in the modern context needs discussion, I think. No, even. I think we can all just go, that's a fucked up thing that should never have existed. Done. Yeah, we could just say yikes and move on from it. And and I'm yeah. saying this as someone who has written about Custer's revenge in the past. And I, I think any and all intellectual discussion to be had of it has been had at this point. It has. It has. Absolutely. And, 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 and it probably was had long before... I ever had anything to say about it either, because yeah. it's, you know, it, it should just be pretty straightforward and clear. Uh, but where this podcast about Custer's Revenge is really interesting and I think kind of valuable in mm. discussing video games is uh, they brought on a guest. His name is uh, Joey Clift. He's a com- he's a comedian. They That's what this show primarily is. There's a... It, they're primarily comedians from the LA and New York scene coming in and talking about video games as guests. Yeah. And um, so they brought Joey Cliff on, Joey Clift, who is a Native American, and they brought him on to talk about this game. And I really have to hand it to Joey Clift uh, mm. for the manner in which he handled this appearance because right at the point that they're ready to actually start talking about this game, he totally throws the conversation into a discussion about tokenism and about why it was exactly that they decided to have him on this show, this Thanksgiving special, to talk about Custer's Revenge. And you should go listen to it, really. Uh, This is not a show that I I generally would even recommend, because particularly if, you know, you're hardcore games people. Yeah. Because this is a little light, generally speaking, as a show. Um, There are frequent times where I am, like, listening to it, and I'm saying, no, that's not historically what happened. Or, you know, this is... No, you're missing a piece of information here. But this episode in particular Mm. is fascinating, uh, and I have to give a ton of credit to the hosts of the show, Heather Ann Campbell and Nick Weiger, for taking the criticism on board, having a real conversation about this issue, and being open to that criticism. I, I think one thing that's really admirable is that in the final edit that went out, they don't edit out the fact that initially both of them i think there is it's fair to say the response is a bit defensive sure absolutely and that's not something they shy away and try to hide in the edit their sort of defensiveness that then goes into yep no we see the point and we recognize what we're doing here yeah it 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 was really tactfully handled from all involved and responsible i think because it would have been very very easy for them to either just scuttle the episode or edit it in such a fashion that is far more um, positively reflecting upon the cast and the production. Yeah. Uh, and who's to, you know, and, and we have no way of knowing if they didn't. However, judging by what was there, the fact that they left what was what's there in really speaks volumes. So uh, I highly recommend people go listen to it. As someone who has had in the past awkwardly tone-deaf offers to talk about subjects about groups that I am in at inopportune times and not known how to deal with it, I have a huge amount of respect uh, for the confidence to go on and unexpectedly in the middle of a show go, so you invited me on, but we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. really, really uh, impressed. Uh, so go, go, yeah. go give How Did This Get Played a listen. It's it's good th- food for thought for any anyone that 
that wants to think about how to do representation in media they create well without stepping into that sort of tokenism territory. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's well worth a listen. It does sound interesting, yeah. Uh, other than that this week, um, oh, I got really bummed out by a little news story this week, and it's just like, it's not a major thing, but it's a thing I got excited about and then bummed out about. So, I'm not generally a watcher of the YouTubers Game Grumps, they do video game Let's Plays and whatnot, but... I'd seen recommended to me over the last couple of weeks, like, they've been doing some stuff about this thing called the Dendy, which is uh, supposedly a knockoff uh, uh, NES that was released in a bunch of markets that Nintendo never officially released in. And I got recommended by someone this video yesterday that they put out that was like a little 30-minute documentary about like, okay, so we bought this Dendy on, on eBay and we've been playing the various games of it for uh, for the channel for a while and there's this one we couldn't get to play right because it was coming up with some message in Russian and it's this little 30-minute documentary about like, okay, what is this cartridge? It seems that it's a game that was in development that never got finished and it only, uh, like, it needed to be connected to an Ethernet port, so they managed to connect it to the internet, and it seemed like it was some attempt at an early online game for some adapter for this this hardware that had never been officially released, and it appeared to be this legitimate, no joke about it, really interesting 30-minute 30, uh, 30 documentary about this mid-80s knockoff console and a sort of game dug out of time. Mm. And I was really interested and i was like that's really good i i tweeted about this video going this seems like a really cool thing worth watching it's a really interesting little deep dive turned out the game does not exist the whole thing was fabricated they were using it to shill a really tacky like fake game called super russian jump game that the youtubers were selling and it it was a real shame because like it they sold it completely straight as this is a this is a documentary about a thing you may not know about and like they just completely misused a bunch of trust that people have in their like it's not like they're a brand that does comedy stuff or like it was on April Fools or something it was just a lie to sell a game it's a tough thing it's a tough line to walk between like false law i guess or yeah. like like creating your own out of universe products and, and characters and, and stuff like that. I think the thing that got me and really annoyed me about it was it what it was clearly not this one video. It was a planned thing because they'd had two videos about these games for the Dendy previously, where they'd like they'd done here's a video of us playing a bunch of Dendy games, can't seem to get this one to run, we don't speak Russian, whatever. Here's another video. Ah, oh, we still can't get it to run. Uh, we can't work out what's on with, uh, up yeah. with this one. Like, they'd made it a long con to do a documentary to get people like, oh, yeah, that thing that we keep seeing. Oh, I'm, I'm really curious about... See, I'm fascinated by that as a project because I am... Yeah. I, I always want to say augmented reality when I talk about um, in-universe, out-of-universe kind of blurring of the lines. Um, mm. Things that are fake that are presented as real. Um, there are some good horror videos like that. Um, Marble Hornets was one, the whole Slenderman mythos on YouTube. Yeah. Um, there have been comedians who present their characters as if they're real, like Steve Coogan with Alan Partridge. Yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, uh, Keith Apicary by Nathan Barnett, if you need a video game example. Yeah, mm. Keith Apicary. I've not seen this, this Game Grumps project. 
it sounds incredibly ambitious from a production standpoint. Yeah. What you're describing sounds incredible, but if they had people genuinely buying into this this documentary and it was just to sell something it gets a little dodgy well that's that's the territory i was in i i was sold on this being an interesting look at something i'd not seen in games and like to to the point that i was fooled i shared the video going this is a really interesting video that's well worth watching and i ended up feeling really embarrassed for having shared it that's a shame i mean that's that's where it's a thin line because you can you can pull that off in such a way that it is uh, uh, in- incredible and impressive. There was um, there's a, a an anthology series mm. that focuses on comedy, but has a lot of drama and horror elements called Inside Number Nine. Mm. I've been meaning to watch. That. It's it's absolutely stellar. I'm a big fan of the League of Gentlemen. So that's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So R- Rhys Shearsmith, Steve Pemberton from the League of Gentlemen did this anthology series, Inside Number Nine. Um, one Halloween, they did a live episode. Oh, I watched a video about this. This is fucking great. Yes. Yeah. They did this live episode, and it's been talked to death, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but the idea was we were supposed to watch it as, uh, uh, under the idea that they were performing and it was being filmed live without any editing. So it starts off like a normal episode and a story that seems genuinely interesting. And then the audio cuts for a long time. Mm. And then it comes back a bit and then it cuts. And then all shit pops off as, 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 as the production becomes a horror thing. And some people were fooled and Reese Shearsmith went on the TV screen, was talking about tweeting to ask the audience if if something was going wrong, if they could see the episode. And then in real life, he timed the tweet to go out at the exact same time. It was incredible. Yeah, well, and and they, there was build-up to it for weeks, too. Like, they, they established this sort of haunted house story relating to the uh, studio yeah. in which they were producing the live episode. So they built this up over a period of yeah. a few weeks to really sort of amp up that. It's brilliant. And that's an example of, of it succeeding. Uh, and it doesn't always, but that was that succeeded because it was still an amazingly pieced together horror show. I love stuff like that when it's done properly. Um, the BBC back in the early nineties, uh, there was Ghost Watch. Do either of yes. you know? Yeah, I remember where the Ghost they, Watch. Yeah, where they they got like Michael Parkinson involved, and it was like ostensibly going to be a legitimate investigation into a house that like a family had been saying like we think our house is haunted and as it goes on it starts to layer in these really unsettling horror things to something that was portrayed as like a factual investigative report yeah. and mm-hmm. that's fantastic like i i can respect a creative piece of work where it's like you're, you're supposed to as it goes on start going wait could this be real could this be real and like ask yourself along the way where, like, there's little bits that push your suspension of disbelief. That's when it works best, yes. When it slowly unfolds while you're watching that you're like, oh, wow, this is getting fantastical. Yeah. And it does sound like, again, I've not seen the Game Grumps thing, so I can't speak to it. It does sound like they committed from beginning to the very end. It, the whole the whole thing is just, like, it's played straight face. There's, there's no escalation of dropping in, like... Okay, have you realised we're joking yet? I'll take the excuse to talk about 
professional wrestling again. Um, yeah, go ahead. But there's there's this concept in pro wrestling called kayfabe, which oh, yes, describes yes. selling what's happening as you know the the cold honest truth. And for the longest time, that was just a straight up lie. Um, when people all believed wrestling was real, they sold it really hard. You know, the the heels and the baby faces would not travel together, would not have the same locker room. Um, there was once two wrestlers got busted for for being in a, a in a car with cocaine. They were punished not because they had cocaine, but because by the by the sport, but because one was a heel, one was a face. They should not have been in that car together. Oh. Um, and over time, of course, you know wrestling's performative elements are completely exposed. But people still try and and you know keep it going, even if it's just a tongue in cheek laugh thing. Um, and and the, even today, though, there is still a difference between kayfabe and a lie. And it's a line I find myself struggling with because sometimes people believe what I do a bit too much, mm-hmm. especially because I have this other career where I'm, you know, trying to be as honest and open as possible. So it's an it's a weird blurring of the lines. And it's it's really hard to tell where it is between what what is just augmented reality, what is kayfabe what is a performance and what is just straight up fibbing yeah i don't know it was a it was a thing i'd that it was a thing i'd seen this week that just sort of like i had thoughts on i wanted to mm-hmm. what while we were talking about yeah. v- video game adjacent media stuff but uh yeah it's a very it's a fascinating because i love that all the the augmented performances i'll call them i'm fascinated by the topic oh yeah i i love a well done augmented performance this this one just felt like it was uh, it, something about it felt a bit weird and cheap to me but uh, yeah it does sound like like for it to have really worked they should have done what all the successful ones have done which is leave that breadcrumb trail of doubt that unfolds to where you're like okay now i see that this is a bit yeah yeah um see i you know i don't know i i kind of respect that insistence of of committing to the bit right yeah, uh, you know, because I think I think back, you know, the the real progenitor, I think, of all of this type of thing is Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Yes, mm. yes, and yes. I mean that is one hundred percent, and it caused riots. Like people yeah. were freaked the fuck out, and I can see why you would not want that from art. Like, I get that. I, I feel like the thing with it is, while it can be a fantastic tool for art, inherently. It works by betraying a degree of trust. It 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 takes the fact that you already implicitly trust the person who is telling you that this is real, and the the payoff is generally, at least to some degree, weren't you a fool for for trusting us? And that's where that line comes in between kayfabe and a lie. Okay, so uh, hmm, so you're bothered by the idea that you're being explicitly lied to. It's it's not even that I'm being explicitly lied to. It's uh, because I, I'm just used it, to yeah. that. Is my you know like everybody's yeah, yeah. lying to me all the fucking time. So yeah. you know it's, I come to find out. Oh, this wasn't that. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's yeah. Fine. yeah, it's it's one of those things that just like I I don't think it's even necessarily a problem, but I think it's something to be aware of as a creator if you ever try and do this. Is mm-hmm. there will always be a seed of doubt in your audience's mind now. Like once you do that, you only get to do it once. Oh yeah. And you've you've never quite got their full trust again, which is, you know, something interesting to play with creatively, but, you know, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to fully to to see it. Yeah. Fully, like I'm I'm using it, of course, as a jumping off point just to talk about the concept itself. Yeah. Um, I like when Game Grumps did the Mickey Mouse video. <laughs> that's my contribution to their work. I like that's a really funny video. I've enjoyed some of their stuff from time to time, but yeah, it it was just it was a thing I watched this week that I needed somewhere to talk about it. But uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Other than that, this week. Uh, I played. I've been playing more Pokemon. I've continued my shiny hunting because, of course, I have. Um, I I must say I'm really enjoying shiny hunting in Sword and Shield, mainly because literally everything I do is over time increasing my odds of just randomly stumbling upon shinies. Like I don't have to be in a a chain of catching the specific Pokemon I'm on and, like, not close the game to keep the chain going or anything. Just as I keep playing, running around in circles, beating beating up anything I happen to run into, over time, I'm seeing more shiny Pokemon as a result. It's it's a really nice system that just rewards you for continuing to engage with the game in any way, shape, or form. And that's really nice. I'm, I'm a big fan of games that... I said this about Children of Mortar, a game that makes it feel like every little thing you do progresses towards something. Like, you're not wasting your time. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like, I've, I've been running around Route 1 trying to find uh, trying to find a shiny sheep. I found one of them. But, like, as I've been going around, if I run into something accidentally on the way, I'm not going, oh, this is really annoying, that's broken my chain, I, I touched the wrong thing. I'm going, you know what, I'm already in the battle. Rather than run away, I might as well knock it out. By the time I got my first shiny sheep, I'd knocked out a hundred of the little bird things. I'd knocked out a hundred of the squirrels. So I was like, "Ah, oh, I'm already a couple of stages up on my shiny odds on those." Yeah, you've, 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 yeah, you've earned some currency there. I've, yeah. I've earned some currency just by not running away when I bump into other stuff on the way. Finding ones you didn't want to, you weren't looking for, wasn't a waste of time because when you do end up looking for them, you've progressed. And that's good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I will start with a step up. And that's been really nice. It's it's felt like my time looking for shiny Pokemon has been better respected by the game. So I'm already like, I'm, I'm nine shiny Pokemon deep now, so onward I go with my quest. But yeah, I, I, I'm continuing to just feel like Pokemon Sword is, is being respectful of my time in a nice way. That's good. Uh, we had a couple of news stories quickly. Unsurprising... Pretty much anyone, Resident Evil 3 Remake is probably happening, because... Oh, I'm so fucking on board for that. The the Nemesis design looks so fucking cool. I'm so fucking on board. It does, yeah. But box art for it leaked, and Nemesis does look really cool in that art. All of the characters in that art look great. It I'm, does, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. into it, yeah. Well, like, honestly, with, with all of the Resident Evil Remake stuff in the last few years, their redesigns of those characters have been pretty solid. Yeah, I would... I would... Be happy to play Resident Evil 3 again. I thought that was a great, great game, even at its time. And the remakes, I mean, I haven't done either of the other two Resident Evil remakes at all. But from what I've read, that yeah. it sounds like they've been doing a fantastic job with them. So I'm, I'm really excited. Oh, the Resident Evil 2 remake is incredible. Capcom have been on a real quality role recently with their like handling of old franchises. So I'm, I'm totally confident this will be good. They've not really dropped the ball recently, have they? Capcom's been on an impressive little tear. Yeah. 
that's 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 nice. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Uh, Mario Maker got a free update that lets you put Zelda Link from the Zelda games in it, and he can swing a sword and put up a shield and do Zelda things. Sure. Which, pro- which means that we're probably not getting a Zelda Maker anytime soon. Yeah, that'd be fun though. Yeah, that would be fun. I'd love a Zelda Maker. Mm. Yeah, same. Like that, that kind of almost was one in Link's Awakening, but you couldn't share levels with people over the internet, and it was super limited. It was in. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe the inclusion of Link in this is just a tease, and we can have hope that there will be a, a Zelda maker to come. I would love to see that, but my gut says they've put it in here because they're not working on a full game. Yeah. But and also, like the fact that Link is in there is probably why you can't do what you did in the first Mario Maker and use your amiibo to unlock a bunch of cool costumes to put in your levels, which is a shame. Wop, wop. Yeah, that that was good. Yeah, I liked that, and I'm guessing this is why we didn't get it. Nah. Uh, and do you remember Patrice Desolée, the uh, Assassin's Creed person? <laughs> I did a video yeah. on this this week. Yeah, so he used to be he used to be the developer of the Assassin's Creed games over at Ubisoft, and he put out a new game called Ancestors: The Humankind Odyssey, and it got reviewed badly. And he got really salty and said, yeah. "Oh, the reviewers must just have not played it." Not even. Not even terribly. It got mixed reviews. Yeah. It's like 64 on Metacritic, which to a guy who said, and he said this, like, oh, I'm used to higher numbers on Assassin's Creed, so that's the elephant in the room. I'm like, yeah, if you... And then he criticised reviewers for expecting it to be... Like, expecting his team of 35 people to make Assassin's Creed. And I'm like, but you're expecting Assassin's Creed scores for your new game. So maybe we're all having expectations dashed here matey boy hey hey someone in a review said about riding a horse but you can't ride a horse in the re- the game all reviews are fake i want to talk about that and all so basically yeah. patrice desolay <laughs> said that he knows for a fact that some reviewers didn't play the game and used that to heavily imply if not straight up say, the game reviewers did not play his game and that's why they gave it a low score. He's basing all of this fact on GameSpot's reviewer on a podcast Mm. said, talks about fire and animals other than monkeys evolving and riding a horse. That was dumb because, as GameSpot said in, in a little statement, the reviewer was making assumptions based on what the game had told him, had, had suggested. That was stupid. That, that is an absolute tanking of that person's credibility. Yeah. He made assumptions and talked with authority on it. Doesn't mean he didn't play the game, because the actual review like yeah. easily shows that he played it and didn't like it. Yeah. He just made very stupid assumptions, which Patrice Desolais used... To make very stupid assumptions. I, I don't think it's even assumptions. I don't think he believes that no one played the game. I think it's an excuse. I mean, considering he ended his little discussion about, you know, he knows for a fact some reviewers didn't play it. He ends it with, oh, something like, what uh, do I know? Yeah. I don't know how to make a game. It's like sour grapes, mate. No, okay, so what? Some, what does some reviewers didn't play the game mean, anyway? Oh, well, you see, he, he knows for a fact that Game reviewers sometimes have to review, and I'm not making this up. Oh god, yeah, fifteen games a week. 
oh, I wish I could review 15 games a week. Game reviewers don't have time to dedicate to ancestors. Yeah. Because they're reviewing 15 games a week, which I think statistically is a fucking impossibility. So rather than just not play ancestors, it's like, well, ancestors is such a vital review. I'd better invent it entirely from my mind and hope I'm right. Yeah. At the same time, he's saying that Ancestors is so different that people just didn't know what to make of it. It's like he's going through the bucket list. He's going through the list of excuses developers make when they don't get the scores they were accepting. They didn't play it. They didn't play it right. They just don't get it, man. It's like the whole thing came off as bitterness and sour grapes. And it's not like... Yeah. Uh. It's not like the GameSpot reviewer is in the right well no because he was very very silly i'm i'm not gonna name names but i reviewed a game semi-recently where i had one of the developers uh email me personally and accuse me of not playing their game before reviewing it so i literally just told them the ending of the game which hadn't yet released and went that's how your game ends i know because i saw it yeah don't tell me i didn't play your game i just didn't like it yeah this is why i i take what Desolé said very seriously because I've had game developers harass me and colleagues on the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been stalked by developers that didn't like my coverage. I've been sued for $15 million by developers that don't like my coverage. Well, and, and there's already existing such a level of distrust from the audience in terms of, you know, video game reviews and commentary. Well, yeah, I mean, Desolée was one step away from saying that it's about ethics in game journalism. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if we're being honest. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's one thing when that comes, when that attitude comes from the audience. It's another thing entirely when it comes from somebody who has 20 years of industry experience who should fucking know better. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've. I've heard he's a bit precious when it comes to this stuff anyway. Someone on Twitter who I I know does some game coverage stuff said they interviewed him once and he got pissy because he didn't feel that the interviewer was being respectful enough when he was just asking him questions. It's like apparently he's got a bit of a a bit of an arrogant streak and I think it poured out in a in a rather reckless way. Um it's clear that he based all of his assumptions off of one GameSpot reviewer chatting shit in a podcast not even in the review chatting shit in a podcast and he used that to imply multiple reviewers were not playing his games and just making stuff up where does 15 games a week come from and if he's exaggerating for for effect when he's making very serious ethical charges don't exaggerate for effect mate so i'll take it as read i'll take it seriously what he said there was he thinks game reviewers have to review 15 games a week. Now me, at my most workaholic, at my most compulsive need to work, have never done and will never do 15 games a week. The most I could do was would be three, and that would be pushing it. I did three at once during this, like, October, November review season because uh, some of them were pretty short and I was working back to back to wedge some deadlines in. That was in the thick of like the heat of game releases of the year. Three games a week is pretty, is basically possible. It's possible to do. I've done it. Yeah. On, on short enough games, it's doable. Yeah. I've got the luxury of, of, you know, only answering to myself as a boss so I can make that time happen. Mm. 
I don't think I could make more than more than three happen realistically, unless some of them were super short. Fifteen? Yeah. Fifteen. Are you listening to yourself? That's what really stuck to me, because while this guy is, is talking with such authority and he's having a go at reviewers for not understanding his work, he's making ridiculous assertions about other people's work. Yeah. Make a fucking game that's good and people want to play because the user scores were worse than the professional scores, mate. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost as if the uh, the people who review video games for a living have a higher understanding of, you know, how games work then perhaps the audience would and in the end maybe more considerate of the challenges that those developers are facing yeah it sure would be a great idea to uh, i don't know alienate those people who were maybe being considerate towards you <laughs> yeah and i mean to hit out with that whole oh we're doing something so different and they just don't get it and they don't have time for this because we are so different i'm like what a load of crap do you have any idea how desperate we are for something different <laughs> oh god yeah well h h bomber guy pointed this out because people like to act as if you know the community jumped on board that dark souls tip oh yeah before you know the out-of-touch games press ever did. And h of Guy went back and looked like how many critics, myself included, were all up on Demon Souls knob. Yes, exactly. We were fucking there with that shit. Yeah, I was so far up Demon Souls' ass, and so many critics were. They loved it at the time. They were ahead of the fucking curve. Yeah, but, 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 but game reviewers suck at games. They hate Dark Souls. They, they don't like when games are hard. This was yeah. is absolute cuphead's perfect, and I think I think that there is something to be said to some extent for people who review games for a living, maybe not being that good at video games yeah. broadly. That's because our job isn't to be world best gamers. Exactly, that's not the point. It's to assess what the content is. It's to articulate our opinions in a way that makes sense to other people. Right, I think it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what the job actually entails. Plus, like, game reviews aren't just for people who are amazing at games. People who are mediocre at games also need to know whether they're going to like a game or not. And there's a whole lot more mediocre players than there are, like, really good ones, so I've got some very bad news for those people. You're not the target demographic. Absolutely. Yeah. Most people who play games are about as shit at playing games as I am. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Like, I, I've, I've got plenty of people, like... I've seen plenty of people who like video games and they're like 10 times worse than I am, yeah. but they're still having fun, you know? Yeah. And there are like some games that I am really, really good at, like really good at. Uh, Luftrausers is a uh, little oh, plane. I am so good at Luftrausers. That's uh, Rami Ismail, was it? Mm-hmm. Beer. Yeah. Yep. Great Lambier. game. You know, so there's. I have things that I'm excellent at. Now, they're not going to necessarily be things that everyone's excellent. I have my yeah. niche of things that I'm very good at and could speak from a point of view of I'm a badass. Yeah. But generally speaking, no, that's not the way it works. There is no such thing as a master of all traits, period. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing. Like, I don't have time to get good at one particular game. Like, I, I ended up, I've, I've ended up in a position where I'm passable at most of them. I, I've, I've only had time to get good at Pokemon because I can literally sit and play it while doing other things while it's on, you know, I'm watching telly or something. I'm like, 
Oh, I, can, I can. I don't have to focus on it too much. I can grind the time out. Like I, I don't have time to be like I'm gonna become the best Fortnite player in the world before I have an opinion on Fortnite. I will have an opinion on Fortnite while I suck at it. Nobody expects Billy Mitchell to kick ass at Call of Duty. There are games that I've absolutely sucked at that I like. Yeah. I think that's it for video games this week. Are they great or perfect this week? I think. I'm going to say they're perfect this week. I've played a fair bit of Yakuza 3, so I'm going to have to go with perfect. Because it's a Yakuza game. Uh, I played Kingdoms of Amalur, and it's and it's 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 great. Yeah. It's great. I, I, I played Pokemon, which was so perfect it cancelled out the Darksiders. <laughs> nice. Actually, yeah, that's a similar position with Shenmue 3 and Yakuza 3. It was like stomach acid meeting Tums. Just... That's the noise it makes when Tums hit stomach. And... <laughs> Yakuza 3 went all oozed all over Shenmue 3 going blah, 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 blah. just covered it up smooth things over yeah that'll do Laura me stuff on the internet people need to know it the stuff and books yeah Laura K Buzz in all those places Laura K Buzz on Twitter Twitch YouTube Patreon that's the one that pays the bills if you could consider dropping me a dollar a month or more there that would be really appreciated uh, you can find everything I publish on laurakbuzz.com, be it written articles, videos, podcasts, all of it ends up there. Yeah, I've got books, Uncomfortable Labels, it's out now, it's about being gay and trans and on the autism spectrum, and it's sold where books are sold, or as an audiobook on laurakbuzzstore.com. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's coming out in October 2020, you can pre-order that on Unbound and get a bunch of rewards if you, you get in fast before they shut that off. I do a bunch of podcasts, there's Pixel Squirt, where I review video game pornography... Uh, Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where me and my fiancé do silly skits and talk about stuff that isn't video games. And there is Dice Funk. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Every season's a self-contained story. I'm on seasons three, four, five, and six with Comrade Zimmerman. Comrade. Oh, that's right. You. I'm also on yeah. Dice Funk. Um, yeah. That's right. Well, okay, so you can find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. I don't really do any other social media, so don't bother. Um... I have a new audiobook. <gasps> you do? Uh, that should have just come out. It's a uh, it's an audiobook of the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Uh, it's available uh, for a dollar at conradreads.com or pay what you want. Feel free to give me more money for it if you like. Um, you can also purchase some of my kind of lefty anti-capitalist pins at pinfultruth.com, P-I-N-F-U-L-T-R-U-T-H.com. And as Laura said, you can hear me on Dice Funk. I'm in seasons five and six. Uh, you can hear me on The Spinoff Doctors with Jim Sterling, whom you may have heard of. Uh, we're, we're, we just put out an episode today, I guess, as we record this for, uh, Doom Annihilation, which... Oh. <laughs> Doom Annihilation. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so give that a listen. Captain Hector Savage. You can hear me on Of Horse, a BoJack Horseman fan cast. We just put out an episode on season three, episode six, Brat Brat Pew Pew, which is the abortion episode. So good fun oh. times had there. And you can hear me on Boston's Favorite Son, also with, uh... Jim Sterling and our good friend Jonathan off Road Rules. And uh, speaking of Jim Sterling, Jim Sterling has a Patreon. <gasps> the rumors are true. I, I won't run and hide from them anymore. There is a Patreon that you can look at. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. 
um, don't have to contribute anything to access the content, but contributions keep the content coming in. So thank you very much for that. Uh, so you can do that. Also doing Twitch streams here and there. Did one last night as we record. We'll carry on. Been doing Sleeping Dogs. Um, I think all of the Shenmue and Yakuza inspired me to want to pick that up again. And it's it's so solid. It's it's just such a it's just such a dependable game. So I'll be doing more Sleeping Dogs uh, as and when I've got time. Um, also December fourteenth, if you are in the northeast, if you can get to Lamont Furnace, sort of Pittsburgh area, um, if you go to the Rise Stronghold on December fourteenth, um, my uh, extraterrestrial alter ego Sterling will be in attendance. Basically, I will be there to, and we'll find out whether I will be running Rise, whether I will be officially running my own wrestling promotion. So that might be something you could be interested in checking out. It's between me and my opponent, um, the gavel David Lawless. Um, We're going to settle it. We've spent months um, running our own campaigns for the position of Rise General Manager. And on on the 14th, we, we settle it. So it's going to be very exciting. That's the Rise Anniversary Show, um, the Rise Stronghold Lamont Furnace, PA, December 14th. Um, other than that, we'll be back next week. Of course we will. And we'll see you then, I guess. Probably. So Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. bye. Later. <laughs>